Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter with Michael Krasny, a weekly podcast which brings you important and timely conversations with people worth hearing, content creator, internet celebrity, who's had an illustrious career as a pioneer YouTuber and over with over a billion views on her YouTube channel, iJustine, which I confess, as I told the Gray Matter with Michael Krasny team earlier this week, always makes me think of I, Claudius, a novel by British novelist Robert Graves about the fourth Roman emperor, and Justine is a kind of empress in her own right. Well, empress of the internet, a regal and stellar career in tech and video, a lifecaster and vlogger with millions of viewers, and she's one of the world's most watched streamers and is also a gamer, entrepreneur, and tech and business influencer, as well as an established actress and television and film uh, star with acting credits. And let me also say that now at the height of her powers, this producer, host, editor, and major digital influencer, as well as aspiring expert in the martial arts and snowboarding, graces this, let me be modest but honest, great matter with Michael Krasny. Welcome, Justine. Good to have you with us. Delighted. Oh my gosh, that was like the best intro ever. Sorry, I think I was muted. I'm a tech expert, yet I still had my Zoom muted. <laughs> well, you're a vision. You're a vision. Incredible of introduction. Thank you so much. I, I just need to begin, though, with uh, I tried to pack a lot on that introduction because there's a lot to say about you. And uh, when you think of something to go with your identity, what do you generally focus on first? I don't even know anymore. It's kind of interesting because, like, you kind of were touching on so many different points in my life. And I think that I have so many interests that I don't feel like there's one thing. Like you mentioned snowboarding. I just started that two months ago. So now I'm obsessed with that. And I love martial arts. I'm super into jujitsu, but I also love video production and editing. So I still edit a lot of my videos myself because I genuinely really love to do so. So I don't really think there's one kind of thing that you can kind of, you know, pinpoint. Well, I think you love tech maybe more than most things and certainly more than most people. I mean, that was in your DNA. You started, in fact, I want to talk about your career and your life, uh, I almost said lifestyle. I mean, a lot of the, certainly what you did in terms of streaming was lifestyle. Susan Sontag once said, if you've got a lifestyle, maybe you don't have a life. And you said most of your life has been on the internet. It's almost entirely on the internet. That's been a problem, which I want to talk to you about. I know been a concern in some ways, despite all the stellar success. But let me go back to sort of what I was leading up to here, which is the internet and certainly the ability to be on the internet and live on the internet has been what you've been all about. I mean, it started with the iPhone book, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it even goes back to when I was very young. Like, I've always been so in love with tech and just trying to figure out how it worked. I remember when I was very little, like my dad as also super techie, like he wired our entire home for electricity. Like they built that from like the ground up. So I feel like I get a lot of that from like my mom and my dad. And I would always take things apart, like the VCR, I'd be like, let's see how this works. And then my dad's like, oh no, now I have to put that back together. So I think just, it really is, like you said, like it's in my DNA, sort of like tech. And I think all those other things are kind of something that I've tried to I guess, distract myself from tech because it, like you mentioned, like I definitely was living my life on the internet for everyone else and kind of forgetting about myself. So that has been over the past, I feel like maybe five to six years is something that I've been trying to, you know, consciously make time to do is to step away from it because it really can be very overpowering. And you have a performative self, and you have all this difficulty, presumably, because you're such a public person with privacy. It impinges on your life. It has to. I want to get into that with some some of that with you. But let's first talk about, you mentioned your dad. Your dad was a coal miner. You're like Loretta Lynn. You're a coal miner's daughter. But aside from that, your interest in computers, you've said on a number of occasions, you owe to your mother, a school teacher. 
Right. Yeah. Because back in the day, most teachers and schools only had Apple computers. So to me, like that was all I really knew because my mom had brought one home and was able to get access to them because of her being a teacher. So that was like the first thing that I had ever experienced was like an Apple computer. And I remember very early on just trying to do like pixel artwork and figure out how this computer works and teaching myself to type and making banners on like those little, it's like those printers that had the the little holes in the the side. So I'd be printing out like mile long banners and my parents are just like, well, there she is again. But they've always been so supportive of all of like the weird endeavors that, that I've been into, even video games, very young. My parents, I asked them recently, I was like, why did you guys buy me a Nintendo at such an early age? And they're like, that's the only thing that you wanted. So it's just, I owe a lot to them of being so supportive throughout the years of all the random things that I was into. Yeah, you've been certainly very strong in your expressions of gratitude to your parents. And clearly, you had a loving home, which is, you know, for most people, like starting on third base. But I'm wondering, when you talk about your parents, you also say, they put up with so much for me and I was so wild and, you know, they went through so much. What did they go through with you? I mean, it's weird because I wasn't, I wasn't like a bad child, but I feel like now the education system definitely caters more towards people who learn differently. Like I was a terrible test taker. I, I mean, I just, it wasn't like defiant. It was just like the stuff that I was learning. It, to me, it wasn't engaging. And I just felt, I don't know. I just felt like completely just off and different than everybody else. So I like my grades weren't good. And I remember very young, like I, instead of actually taking the real notes, like I made up my own language and just like scribbled in this notebook. And like, I kind of understood it, but then the teacher thought that I had something wrong with me. And my mom goes, no, she's, she's like pulling one over on you. Like she could do this work. So it's just like little things like that. And I mean, it was just hard because it's like, I knew the things that I loved. I loved doing computers. I loved programming and all of that stuff I excelled at, but everything else I'm like, I don't really need to know this. So I just really have always kind of put my effort towards things that I'm super passionate about, I guess. Do they think, yeah, you are super passionate, but they think you were Asperger-ish or anything like that? I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that I definitely have some form of ADHD. I mean, I was super hyperactive when I was younger and, you know, then let's, it's, they just wanted to, you know, over-medicate kids and stuff like that. So my mom was always kind of, you know, alleviating any of those types of things. But even now in like my older age, just finding other people that have these same symptoms and I'm able to understand and just learn more about like what that's like living with that. I'm like, man, it's everything makes sense now. So it's just, it's interesting to kind of, you know, be at an older age, kind of looking back at all of those things and be like, okay, it all makes sense now. And you went to the Pittsburgh Technical Institute. I mean, and as opposed to like a regular type of college that would have been more liberal arts or junior college and so forth. It was much more tailor-made for what was in your DNA and what was your passion. I mean, it was so perfect. And and even that was kind of a struggle with my parents because I didn't want to go to college. I didn't want to take my SATs. I didn't want to do these things. I'm like, I know what I want to do. I want to do something with computers. So I'm so glad that we found uh, the Pittsburgh Technical Institute, which actually I think is a, a college now, which they changed over because they do, I think they do a lot more stuff there now, which is really exciting because it was so perfect for me because we did everything that I loved. We we did you know 3D, we did graphic design, and we did all of like the math and English, like a little bit of that, but it was mostly everything that I was just so excited to learn about. So I definitely excelled there. So you don't feel you've missed out on not reading the great classics or doing the kind of sorts of things that people do through in what we would call a more ordinary kind of college liberal arts? 
Well, no. And it's also interesting because I missed out on that whole like real college experience of drinking and partying. Like our idea of fun was, you know, going to the computer lab late at night, having some snacks and working on our projects. So it's like, it's a weird kind of thing that I sort of missed out on, but um, I don't know. It's like, I look back on those times and I'm so glad that like my mom and dad like pushed me to go that route because, you know, I made such cool friends there and really experienced kind of exactly what I would have wanted out of like a college experience. Well, when you were out of college, I mean, you were working, you were doing graphic design, you were doing editing and all that sort of thing. But you were also uh, at one point on the verge of being evicted. You could have almost been homeless and you had a kind, compassionate landlord. Some people would say, I wish I had one of those, but you know, he let you slide. And the result was, how'd you make the leap into Justin TV and all this life casting from that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so strange because I was just so, again, like passionate about, you know, creating and, and I put so much effort into that, that I had worked this full-time job and then I just decided to quit. Um, that's a whole other story, but uh, I just really felt that there was something here. And I actually had met Alex Lindsay at a pod camp in Pittsburgh, and he was the first one that actually flew me out to San Francisco and kind of gave me a shot at hosting on MacBreak at Macworld. And that was when I really had just... It was my first time in California. And I was like, this is so cool. Like there's a whole nother world out here because we really never traveled much when I was younger, just up and down the coast. So kind of seeing California for the first time, I was like, I'm moving here. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something. And it was at Macworld where I saw Justin walking around with a camera on his head. And I go, this is great. I can do everything live. I won't have to edit. This is going to be so much easier. <laughs> Definitely was not easier, but it was it was a really fun experience. Well, and Alex is, of course, a hero to many of us here, but also so is Leo Laporte, who I did a podcast with, who you worked with in Macworld. Yeah, Leo is so crazy because when I was younger, maybe like in maybe high school uh, and even I think middle school, depending upon which year it was, I would go home and watch tech TV with my grandmother like every single day. So like seeing Leo and Kevin and all of those people, like those were my heroes and those were people that I was looking up to. And then, uh, you know, getting a chance to meet Leo there also at Macworld was just, it was so cool. I mean, it was like, it was like I was on a Hollywood red carpet, but for tech and it was just incredible. Well, tech has led you into all kinds of different directions. I mean, it's been the main driver for you. You have become kind of a spokesperson for a lot of tech products and everything. In fact, I was wondering, does it ever sort of weigh on you at all? Uh, some of the tech products, they come out so fast and everything that you give them endorsements or you give them your sort of imprimatur. And the result is, what I'm really asking you is, do you feel sometimes you have to really negotiate all that and decide, is this really the right product? Is this a product I want to put my name behind? I think so. And I mean, because my channel does a lot of reviews, if I do a sponsored project, I mostly call those showcases. So it's like not a paid review. It's like, hey, look, here's the project or here's the product. Check it out. These are the specs. This is how it works. And this is what I like and that kind of thing. So it is hard because now I've even noticed over this past year, so much is coming out that it's actually hard to keep up with. And some of the the tech is only small incremental updates, like, oh, the battery's a little bit better, the screen's a little brighter, uh, it's a little bit larger, or the, the pixel size of the camera is, you know, a little, is increased. So that's been kind of hard to try to find a way to 
make these videos not the same exact video that I did last year, just in like a different sort of template. So I think that's something that a lot of us tech YouTubers have been struggling with recently. And when you do tech and when you learn about tech and when you enable us to learn more about tech through your wisdom and through your discretion and all of that, I'm just wondering how much that plays into your own sense of what you need to do in terms of your performances. I mean, there's a definite connection there, isn't there? Yeah, and it's it's fun. So like I still really enjoy it because if I wasn't enjoying it, I would be I would off be doing something else. Yeah, I feel and the it's same been kind way. of fun too. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. I mean, you've been obviously doing this for so long too. And if you didn't really genuinely love it, like you'd be doing something else as well. So it is really fun to kind of just be able to connect and engage with an audience. And you know, it even goes back to when I was younger. It's like I I felt like I connected with all of my friends online when I first found the internet. And it still is kind of that same thing today. Tech changes go so fast, though, and they go to market so fast. I was thinking about the alacrity with, and the rapid nature of all that. I mean, that's kind of tough to keep up with, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like my years kind of revolve around when Samsung launches their new phone and when the iPhone is launched like at the end of the year, and then we kind of have a little break in the middle. <laughs> so it's, it's just so interesting how quickly it has changed, and it's only getting faster, especially like with the whole AI boom recently. It's just, it really is never-ending. What do you feel about fame? I mean, it's transitory. You know that. Uh, can't last a lifetime, and it shifts in different... Your fan base has shifted, hasn't it? It has. I mean, now, because I've been doing this for so long, people that watch my content... I mean, they they grew up with me and now they're having kids and now they're watching videos with their kids. I mean, my YouTube channel is like 17 years old. Like that's a full grown adult child at this point. So it's it's interesting to think that a lot of my audience now, they weren't even born when I started making YouTube videos. So it's kind of like this weird circle of life that new people kind of come in, some of the old people go away. And then even, you know, randomly, I will see some, some fans out and they'll be like, oh my gosh, Justine, like, I can't believe it. Like you were my childhood. And then they're like, I, I have to go back and watch your videos. So it's like, you kind of slip out of someone's, I guess, interest. But then it's like, because I haven't really gone away, like you can always come back. A fickle food upon a shifting plate. That's what Emily Dickinson said about fame. <laughs> I mean, it changes in generations, obviously. It really does. Yeah. But for you, the camera was always on. I mean, you were always doing a kind of performative art and always having to be creative. And how do you look at your own creativity? When I'm bored, I'm the most creative. I feel like when I'm super busy, like I feel like I have to just do all of these things just to get them done. But when I can just like sit and think and be like, oh man, I get so many great ideas. And also it's incredible having this audience because they are a source of inspiration and creativity. A lot of times I'll be like, I have no idea what video I'm going to make. And so I'll just ask, what do you guys want to see? And I'll have you know, like a hundred video ideas just right there. And I'm like, well, all right, let's pick one of those and give so-and-so credit for, you know, wanting this video. So it's, it's really cool just to kind of have that as a backup. And it's just at this point too, like I've talked about, even with some of my friends, it's like, we're at a point now where, because the tech is so accessible that we can really do anything that we want. Like there's, if you have the will to do it, like you can find a way. Yeah. I saw recently it was saying, and by the way, happy belated birthday. Your birthday was on Monday. Thank you. And I yes, saw a, a video you did on St. Patrick's Day making a green toasted cheese sandwich. And uh, I thought, this doesn't look too edible to me. But nevertheless, it was something you clearly were having fun just doing. So I used to do a bunch of cooking videos back in the day when tech wasn't 
so rapidly changing. So that was kind of like what I would fill in the blanks with like, well, it's a slow tech season. Let's do some cooking videos. So now I've been kind of pulling back some of those older videos because some of my audience is so new, they've never even seen them. So it's really fun to be able to kind of just have this just arsenal of of content to be able to pull from for different holidays. Julia Child, Justine, uh, by the way, where did where did the leap occur from doing things just in TV to doing Justine and I, Justine? Well, I, it was crazy meeting Justin because obviously I was Justine. I was still I, Justine. And I think I registered the domain back in like 2002. Um, so it was, it was definitely way before I'd met Justin. So it just kind of actually happened that way. Just when we met, I was like, this is a perfect synergy of us both having the same names. The people didn't even believe it at the time. They just thought that I was using a fake name. Well, but there was a jump there. How did that jump occur? I mean, going from that to oh. going on your own, your own agency, your own autonomy, your own identity apart from him. Yeah, I mean, I think it was kind of happening all at the same time because I was still doing all of the iJustine stuff up to that. And then the live streaming just kind of was another thing that I was doing while I was also creating content. So it kind of both worked hand in hand. And that was just sort of the the live portion of it. And it's been so cool to kind of see the way that live has shifted and the way that people are doing, you know, IRL live streams, they're they're playing video games. And it's now you can do all of that stuff that I was doing back then just on a phone. And it's fascinating just to see how quickly that kind of shift has happened. Yeah, you've talked about how amazing that jump has been. I mean, it's, it's a quantum leap from where we were and cost too. Yeah, I mean, people ask like, well, what camera should I get? I'm like, honestly, if you have a phone, like that's the best place to start now. Great audio, great video. You can edit everything right there and you can post it. So it's like, if you're looking to become a content creator now, I mean, it's such an incredible time. There's also a strong interest in your personal life. And I did want to broach that whole topic with you because sometimes that can make you feel like your privacy is really being, <laughs> it is being in sometimes, because your fans strongly identify with you and they want to know more about you. They want to know who you're dating, who you maybe are marrying, all that sort of thing. Yeah, I do. And I, but it's, it's interesting because like that part of my life, like I keep completely private. I don't want to share everything. And there's like, even for like my family, I'm like, I don't like post as much as I used to. I don't vlog as much as I did before, you know, sharing every aspect because it really kind of took away from living. And there was like a point, even me and my sister would wake up in the morning and be like, what are we going to do today for like, we were even started calling it like fake fun. But like we were having fun, but like it didn't feel real anymore. We're like we have to go do something fun for the camera. And it's like, we were enjoying it, but yet it felt so forced. And I think that was the point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I need to figure out something else to do. And so that was kind of a big turning point for me when I really just focused on tech. Everything was a little bit more scripted. Everything kind of revolved around a product. So if I would go out and do a vlog, it would be because I was doing a camera review, not because I wanted to share so much. So it, it's definitely been a shift. And I think like as I get older, it's like I value that my privacy so much more than I used to. But still virtual, cyber, right? I mean... In terms of what you, what you when you go to the gym and you do jujitsu, that feels real, doesn't it? As opposed to maybe the performative side of things. It does, and I think jujitsu was the first thing that I had ever decided I was not going to post about until I actually got a blue belt. So I didn't post a single thing. I never posted a picture. I didn't take a picture in the gym, and I basically told everyone like, "Don't post that I'm here." Like it was just something that I did for myself, and that whole experience was incredibly life changing because I'd never done that before. I'd never went somewhere not posted. I'd never went somewhere and not talked about it. I never really just kind of did something for me. So 
Then it felt really weird though, because I was following all these jujitsu people and commenting on all of their stuff. And then I was like, wait, now I'm not even a part of the community because no one knows I'm here. So now I'm like, I'm still there. And it's, it's great because I still don't post that much about it, but it's such a huge part of my life and something that I love that it's hard not to talk about. I remember a story Frank Sinatra told. I mean, you know, when he was at the apex of his fame and success and all of that, everybody in America probably knew who he was, but he was in some little Swiss village staying there and uh, he was shooting pool by himself and a woman came down and said, it's too late, you have to close up here. It was clear to him she didn't even know who he was and it felt good to see someone who knew nothing about him, didn't be, wasn't able to identify him. So, are there times when you maybe yearned a little bit for that kind of anonymity or life of maybe even quiet desperation, ordinariness? Yeah, and I think jujitsu brought that for me, but also like I feel like I'm in a really good position because it's like I'm known, but also not known enough that I can't you know, have like a normal life. But it is, has been interesting because when I used to travel a lot, I would travel and find a jujitsu gym wherever I was at just to hop in and, and train. So randomly people would be like, are you are you I just seen? What are you doing here? Like just complete confusion because that was before when I never talked about it. So it was always a very confusing interaction, but it's always very fun. I had lots of questions for you. I want to go to them. There's lots of questions that I have to ask you. I want to talk about some of the uh, questions that I think some listeners may feel about social media and also talk with you about TikTok, which is very in the, much in the news now that we're talking. I know you've become a devotee and talk about some of the people that you've interviewed and the future of tech, but let's go to people who are watching us live and what questions they might have. This is first from Sky up in Washington in Seattle. It says, you've seen a lot of changes in the media since you started. Would you share any predictions about media creation and consumption you think might happen just in the next one to three years? Well, I definitely feel like AI creation is going to be a really huge thing in the next, well, I mean, it's already happening now. So it's going to be interesting to see how that's kind of, I guess, divided from human creation or AI created. And I think there's a really great synergy of using both of those things to kind of really create something super powerful and to allow the person who's creating to kind of have more freedom and have more inspiration and just kind of, I guess, more access to things. Like, I'm just thinking how long I used to spend, you know, Photoshopping things into thumbnails. Like I could just now say, place a cat into this image. And I'm like, great, done. So it's like, it's really allowing people to access creativity that they might not have, I guess, the skills to be able to produce themselves. Yeah, I heard you talking about AI and thumbnails and saying, you know, you're looking forward to what it can do for you and your work with thumbnails. But the reality is a lot of people are scared, you know, what lists uh, about AI and where it might be going, particularly now uh, when we have just, I don't know when people are going to be listening to this, but uh, Donald Trump has not yet been arrested, but somebody did an AI video where Donald Trump was actually arrested and taken to jail and it went out and millions of people saw it and it was presumed to be real. Elon Musk has said he feels terror about AI. Um, on the other hand, you know, I just heard Bill Gates talking about all the extraordinary things that could be done with AI, and there's no doubt about that, including your thumbnails. Uh, where do you come down on this? How do you feel? I'm definitely in the middle, but I do think, I mean, that, that's the thing with anything. Like, you can use anything for good, or you can use anything for bad. So I think it's just going to be it's going to be very difficult because like you said, it's very hard to tell what's real and what's not. I mean, I've definitely had deep fake videos that we've had to get pulled down of me. And I'm like, it's so mind blowing. Cause you're like, I know that's not me, but it's like, I can't unsee the fact that that's like my face and my voice and everything. And it's, it is very scary in that aspect, but I do feel like there is so much good that can come from it. So I'm hoping, of course, I'm hopeful that 
all of the good people out there will definitely be using it for good. But I think there will have to be some sort of regulations and some sort of policing of it because it's going to be very hard to tell. Like you said, like these things are so incredible now that it is very difficult to tell what's real and what's not. And they're getting better all the time. And But you are optimistic. Uh, bottom line, you're optimistic. Are you optimistic as much about social media, especially with all the toxic and difficult and dark things that have happened on social media? I mean, it's it's basically like anything is like that. It's like you have the good and the bad, and I just kind of choose to sort of see the good, and I follow people that I like, and I follow people that are you know posting things that are more supportive and interesting. So I think that's kind of the thing. Is like we have to curate our own feeds. There's a question from Ian who says, if you could give any advice to someone who wants to be more productive and achieve their goals, what would it be? Wow. I, that's tough because I feel like sometimes I get into those very non-productive ruts. And I think what I've learned over the years is kind of just let yourself have that. Like let yourself have that moment, take a day or two to get back into it. Cause sometimes having that, those rest days can help you become more productive. And I'm definitely a big list person. I mean, my notes app on my phone is just, it's like, here's hundreds of lists of things to do notes, random notes that I've left myself, but I don't even know what they mean. So I'm definitely a big list person. And I think just Really, I think what keeps me productive and motivated is just knowing that I really love what I'm doing. Because if I didn't like it, I wouldn't be doing it. So definitely, you know, find something that is is that you're passionate about, and I think that will really help. I heard an interview recently with Jerry Seinfeld, uh, and it was actually Howard Stern who was asking him, uh, "Do you always think of jokes like day and night? Do you think about jokes?" And he said, "Yes, it's what I do. It's why I make a living." And so he's always thinking about jokes. And Howard said. You have a life and, well, you know, I'm always thinking about jokes and you're always thinking about material, especially if you're bored, you said, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's I'll just pop it into a note and I'll be like, that'll be something for later. And it's something that you really can't escape. And especially, like I said, if you really do enjoy it, like you're always thinking and kind of like, what's that next thing? And I think, again, that's why I love jujitsu and doing these other activities like snowboarding, because it takes your full mental energy that you can't think about anything else. I mean, I'll be watching TV and I'll be thinking, man, the coloring on this, like, that's not, that's a little bit off, like the lighting. So it's like, even when I'm watching shows, I'm still thinking like production wise. And here's Emily who says, hi, Justine, it's Emily. I am starting my first year of college this fall. And I was wondering what advice you have to stay motivated and follow your dreams. Hi, Emily. Oh, Emily's been one of like my biggest supporters for the past couple of years. So it's always great to see her. Um, I think, you know, starting college, I think for me, I was super motivated because it was everything that I loved to do. And also I think making connections with people too, because that was kind of like your first time out into the real world. So really kind of embrace that and make friends. And it's always fun to kind of see later on down the road, like where those people end up. So you never know who you're going to meet in college, but just staying motivated. I think, honestly, I'm a list person. Make as many lists as you can to try to get things done and check those off. You have this devoted and loyal fan base, uh, and they rely upon you almost emotionally. I mean, they feel this connection with you. Does it sometimes feel like a heavy responsibility? I think so, because, I mean, I know that anything that I post can be seen by pretty much anyone, anywhere. Uh, but I'm definitely very lucky that everyone is always very supportive. And I do feel like I've lost some of that connection because I don't post about my you know, private life and social things that I do every single time. But it's like, that's a sacrifice that I had to make because I was like, that's the only way to keep my sanity. <laughs> Let's hope you preserve that. Uh, and here's Robert from Los Angeles who says, interesting question. What and, and thank you for these questions that are coming in. What technology do you rely on the most but frustrates you daily and why? Oh man. I mean, 
I feel like it's so interesting because our computers have gotten so fast now that like you expect things to happen immediately. And then when they don't, I'm like, I don't understand. Like, why are you not working? And it can just be like a two second lag of importing a clip and I'm I'm getting frustrated. So it's almost like we've become super jaded that we expect everything to happen instantly. And even doing a lot of AI stuff, a lot of that is taking a lot of generative power even to create images or waiting for the 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 chats to actually catch up. I'm like, why is this not fast enough? So I sometimes feel like I'm moving at a fast speed and I don't understand why things aren't catching up. So I think it's just the speed at which, you know, things are happening and moving. I'm just like, it's, it's got to go faster. Well, a question from Robert also made me think of the fact that you were in LA for a while. His question came from Los Angeles. He did a show called Lost in America, I think, uh, in Los Angeles. And unlike so many of the, your enterprises, it wasn't quite the success that you had hoped for. What is, could you say something about taking chances and failures and striking out sometimes? I mean, it's part of success, isn't it? It's necessary. Yeah. I mean, I remember that project. It was actually a really fun project. That was a very early project with AT&T that we did. And we traveled to like Austin, Alaska. I, I believe we did some in Los Angeles. And we went to like all these random places. And I think it was just so early that, I, I mean, I'm not even sure like how well it did, but it was just a very fun project to work on. But I think taking chances is one of the the biggest parts of, of life really is you have to not be afraid of failing because most people aren't going to remember half the things that I've done that I've failed at. They're only going to be like, wow, you just popped up overnight and became popular. Like, nope, I've been doing this for a very long time. And I think that happens a lot with artists and bands, especially musicians. These songs will just come out of nowhere and they'll become hits. And they're like, wow, that happened overnight. And they're over there crying and like, no, uh, we've been creating music for the past 20 years and finally had a hit. So you never know when your big break is going to come and just know that that might not last forever. So it's kind of like, what can you do to carry that into the next kind of however long? Well, that was modest in terms of success. That's what brought it to mind. Uh, Here's Daniel from Thousand Oaks. What does your support team look like? People you rely on to help produce the high quality content your fans and followers love. Yeah. I mean, I really only have like it, any given time, like one editor or one other shooter. And I still edit a bunch of my videos. So it is a very small team. Um, I'm lucky to have a, a great management team that I've been working with for, gosh, almost, I don't even know, like 10 plus years. And then I do have an agency that, you know, kind of brings brand deals and things like that. So my actual day-to-day team is its pretty small. It's, I mean, I still make my own thumbnails. And I think at some point, like I have to give up that because there's really not enough time in the day to do everything. And I've done it this long, but I, I just, it's its really tough to try to do as much as you want to do. And now with all of these platforms, like you might shoot a YouTube video that might take two days to shoot, two days to edit. And then it's going to take you another day to kind of edit down all of the social assets. So where's the rest of the time you could be creating content? Yeah, I think maybe what your fans, some of them don't realize is just how hard you work. I mean, you got a real work ethic. You get that from your parents? Yeah, they both work very hard and they have, you know, pretty much their entire lives. But I work hard and then play hard. So I will, you know, drive myself into the ground for a week working on projects just so the next week I can go snowboarding or I can go on a trip. So I my the moderation that I have or it's it's very it's very skewed, but that's how I've kind of gone from since the beginning. So it it works for me. Not Maybe not everyone. Well, at the risk of sounding like Joe Rogan, I wanted to ask you about the martial arts because um, 
I studied something called Goju Ryu Karate, and you've studied not only jujitsu, but you studied Kali, which is real combat. I mean, talk about the thrill that you find and the excitement in that and how it takes you away from the work ethic that you have. Well, it's interesting how I found Kali was because I had, I broke my toe in jujitsu. So I had an injury that wouldn't let me train jujitsu. So then I went to this gym just to do like, you know, traditional strength training. And I saw these two guys like hitting each other with sticks and I go, what are they doing? Like, I want to do that. So then I ended up introducing myself to that trainer and we started teaching, started teaching me Kali. And then we did that for a while. And then he was like, you know what we could do? We could transition this into lightsabers. So then we started doing lightsaber and sword training and it was kind of like the same, you know, Kali techniques and everything. So it was so much fun. It's kind of like the Empire Strikes um, Back, isn't it? Sort of. Oh yeah. Like we just started doing it kind of like as a joke to make a video. And then we both like absolutely loved it. And then we're just doing lightsaber training kind of like in my backyard. (laughs) So fun. Kali is also associated with doom and death. I'm sure you realize that, you know, Shiva's wife and Hindu mythology. It's heavy duty stuff. Yeah, but it is. And I mean, it's also just good to kind of have those movements kind of in the back of your mind, even though I haven't been able to train it as much recently because I had a, a pretty scary health scare last April. I got a blood clot in my shoulder and we think that it came from all of the repetitive motions of like lightsaber, sword training and Kali because the the rib is kind of set a little bit too low that it pinches the vein in my arm. So then it constricted that and then I ended up getting a blood clot. So it was a whole thing. It was super scary because I think a lot of people don't realize that blood clots can happen to a lot of younger people and especially females. So that was not a fun experience for me, but hopefully because of that experience, I was able to bring awareness to this and hopefully help some other people kind of learn about it. That's valuable to bring that awareness. In fact, uh, we did a podcast with Amber Mack, a name I'm sure you know, and uh, she was talking about health issues and how her public platform gave her the opportunity to make more young women aware of what she had been through and so forth. But she also said something that I wanted to get your read on because it's almost in contradistinction of things that you've said. Um, I, I don't want to make a case out of what she said, but she, like so many women entrepreneurs and women in tech that I've interviewed, said things to the effect that there's a lot of misogyny, a lot of sexism, you know, the difficulties of all that. You, on the other hand, have said, as a gamer as well as in the world of tech, you haven't really felt much of that at all. In fact, uh, you didn't feel it was quite uh, impressing itself upon you. Am I phrasing that fair enough? Maybe at one point I said that, but I definitely quit my gaming channel because everyone was so awful that they they basically like ruined something that I loved so much. So I kind of like had to take a step back and I was like, I don't enjoy doing this anymore because like the comments were so awful. And this was probably like around maybe like 20, maybe like 2014, 2015, but there has been an interesting shift where now it's like, there's so many more women playing video games, streaming, making constant careers out of it. And it definitely still is an issue. And I'll even read comments on some of my videos, even today where I'll make basically the same video as a, as a male creator. And they'll tell me that I'm being too excited or I, they didn't like the fact that I said something. And I'm like, but this other, this my my male counterpart is also very excited. He said the same thing, but why are you guys not mad about that? So you do see it, but I feel like because I've been doing this for so long that I, I just try to, I guess, lead by an example. Like, I don't like saying female gamers. I don't like saying, you know, women in tech and that kind of thing. It's like, you don't say a male in tech. You don't say there's a male gamer. It's like, we're just people too. Like, we're all just doing this thing. So I just hate putting labels on things like that. 
but I've definitely experienced it. I feel like it has gotten a little bit better, but it's just, I think it's just a work in progress, really. A lot more polarized, a lot more trolls than 14 years ago or so when you said, you know, you didn't feel any of that, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's just interesting how it's all changed. Here's Jeff from Miami Beach, Florida. It says, how much work don't we see? How much time start to publish goes into producing an average video? I mean, it's so much. <laughs> it really is. It depends on the videos, especially the ones where we're doing reviews, because a lot of times I have to actually test out this product before I ever even start filming. And that takes a lot of time. And then it's, you know, gathering my thoughts, like writing a script, which I've actually started doing a little bit more of because creating so much content, I used to just turn on the camera and start talking, which that would waste time. That would waste now precious hard drive space when I'm shooting 4K and 8K footage. And so there's definitely a lot that goes on behind the scenes, but it's it's fun and I still love it. And I'm definitely so grateful to still be able to do it. But I definitely it? feel like I need to hire some more people. <laughs> Well, I was just about to ask whether you love acting as much because that's not your script. That's somebody else's script and you have to memorize the lines. Yeah, I'm really bad at memorizing. So I kind of stopped doing the whole acting thing for a while just because it also kind of drove me crazy because the amount of time that it took sometimes to do things, I would just be sitting there and like, I could have shot 45 YouTube videos in the time that it took you guys to set up for one scene. So like that just made me super anxious. But if there's ever like a fun project that comes around, I do sometimes still audition for things, but it really has to be like a good project and something that I'm super passionate about. Originally, it was just, I wanted to be in my favorite shows. So that was kind of like a bucket list kind of thing that I was doing. So you calibrate things. How many videos can I make in this time? <laughs> if I parcel it out to videos rather than what I'm giving it up to, like acting. It's a fascinating kind of calculus in itself. Here's time. Like, would I actually make the 45 videos? Probably not, but in my mind, I'm like, I could have. <laughs> Here's Todd, uh, who says, and I was going to ask you about TikTok. What are your thoughts around TikTok's social and creative impact on community building, writ large, and potential impact of the current struggle for market share taking place in Congress? And I want to follow that up with some more of your thoughts about TikTok, because as I said, I know you've become a bit of a devotee. Yeah, I know. TikTok for me, Honestly, even as a YouTube first creator, like TikTok is where I watch most of my content. And I'm not sure what it is about it. It, it just, I mean, that algorithm is so targeted. It's like, I find all of my favorite things. I'm like, I get jujitsu, snowboarding, cooking, and dogs. And it's like, it knows me so well. I'm like, you know me better than my friends, which I think that is also, I think the problem that a lot of people have is like, how does it know you so well? So even just watching a little bit of the hearing, it was, I mean, it was kind of unsettling just hearing a lot of the questions, like they really felt so out of touch that I was like, did you even open the app? Have you ever used the internet? Do you, do you hear the words coming out of your mouth? And like, just being so rude and interrupting him. And it was just, it was kind of hard to watch just knowing like how much TikTok has had an effect on me personally for my career. And I've seen it just help so many other people create incredible careers as well. Well, there's all this concern coming from congressional representatives who, of course, you know, get to uh, showcase and uh, get attention, which is what they want, builds up their coffers. Um, but the fascinating thing about this is you're seeing legislators from both sides of the aisle actually going after TikTok and expressing concern about surveillance and privacy and all of those kinds of things because of all the data. I mean, the real question is, what are they going to do with the data? And is the Chinese government going to get it? And essentially what uh, we were hearing from uh, the CEO was, there's a firewall. You don't have to worry. And the legislatures didn't believe it. I'm not sure I believe it either, but I don't know. you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I think it was interesting. He said that they were 
moving all of the data over to, I think, servers in Texas. And then they currently had some data somewhere else right now that would then, once that was switched over, would also be deleted. I'm not 100% accurate on, you know, the the timeline of that or exactly everything that he said. But I don't think it's just TikTok that we need to be worrying about. I mean, it's it's everything. I mean, how many people, when they sign into a, a new website, do you read the terms of service? I mean, we don't. Like, I literally probably signed my life away hundreds of times. But... I mean, again, it's sort of that give and take, like there's the good and the bad. And it's like, how much do I want to keep entertaining TikTok? Like what data am I actually giving them? And I think Apple has been doing a pretty great job of giving um, developers, it was fairly recently, I think at their last WWDC or maybe the one before that, that they're making them agree to these certain terms that if they are giving this specific data out, like they have to you know, be upfront about it. So I think it's just it's not just TikTok that we have to worry about. Like it's every social media. And if you don't want to be a part of it and you don't want them to have your information, then don't join. I mean, that's really the bottom line, I think. As opposed to what some are saying, which is using TikTok again, but as you say, this could apply to any of the social media. 150 million Americans, most of them young people, actually being influenced by what they see on TikTok and possibly being manipulated by what they would see on TikTok. That's the concern. A lot of it, of course, you know, concern about China and its power. And now allied with Russia, for that matter. So, uh, right. you know, there there are some real concerns here, obviously, by legislators and by Americans and people all over the world. Uh, question is, ban it, sell it. I mean, you know, this is what we're hearing. Those kinds of well, then he was yeah, and he was even saying that he's like, well, on the bike dance board, there's three Americans and things like that. And I mean, if we even go back and look at like what happened with Facebook with the election, it's it's the same thing, you know? And I think it's just, there has to be some sort of regulation, but then, okay, are we going to be letting it be regulated by our government? Or I, I don't know, it's, it's a huge discussion. And I think it's definitely something that a lot of people do need to kind of be aware of what's happening and especially parents with their kids. And obviously kids can be signing up for these these things like TikTok and, you know, lying about their age. So they were talking about using facial recognition to be able to see if this person is actually of age. So it's like, would you rather them lie about it or would you rather them do the facial recognition and then ban these kids from using TikTok? So it's like, well, what do you want? Like, what is the answer? What's, I'm not really sure. Question from Rick, who wants to know, what advice would you give someone who is starting out as a media creator today? Wow. Okay. So this actually, I saw Mr. Beast say this. Uh, he was talking about like your first hundred videos are probably going to be pretty terrible. But which is interesting about TikTok is that's not necessarily the case because you might be posting something on TikTok now and it can go viral like the next day. So I think that use case that he was talking about was kind of on YouTube. And even then, you really never know when someone's going to see anything. So I think the best thing is just start. You'll eventually get better. You'll learn things about yourself that you're like, I hate when I do that. So I'm not going to do that the next time. And sometimes trying to be perfect in a video doesn't even pay off. Sometimes you might spend so much time and money and effort on a video. No one will see that. And then you'll just post some small little clip of you doing something or just talking casually and that'll do well. So honestly, it's just a lot of trial and error and just kind of have fun with it and see where it goes. You have videos like that that you'd like to maybe pull out of the cloud or have pulled out once uh, you expire or go into retirement or anything along those lines? I mean, I've, I think I've made anyone's private that I probably didn't want out there, but I've never really posted anything that was like so terrible that I would be like, like I mean, anything that's up now, I mean, I'm definitely embarrassed of some of my old videos, but they're still there. 
if anybody wants to see them. And it's kind of a fun reminder to myself of like where I started. And it's also great for newer creators to be like, wow, like this is what she started doing and now she's doing this. So it's, it's definitely a fun little walk down memory lane. I also can't ever remember anything. So me and my sister will go back and watch old vlogs to be like, who was at this party that we had? When did we do this thing? So that's one thing that I do miss about posting vlogs is, is those fun memories to go back and rewatch. What's wrong with your memory? Why doesn't it work? I don't, I don't know. I think there's too much stuff going on in here. <laughs> Probably a good answer. So I have to I have to write everything down. Here's Juan from Mexico City. What do you like to see change in the media industry? Or what changes would be maybe even a priority if I could uh, edit a little bit the question? I'm not sure. I mean, is I'm not really sure what exactly the question is, like media in general or... The industry. He's talking I, about the industry. Because so. I feel like... I feel like we're at a really cool point right now where anyone can become a content creator with your phone and even TikTok, like it's giving people that ability. So, I mean, I think just giving people a voice who maybe before never was able to have one. And that's why it kind of, it's so hard for me to see this you know, potential TikTok ban because I feel like TikTok has given a voice to so many people who otherwise never would have been able to. Still have a digital divide though. I mean, even with phones and how, inexpensive they've become. They're still, in terms of underrepresented communities and so forth, at least you look at the numbers, it's still there. Yeah. No, I mean, there's definitely people who aren't able to get them, but it's the price point has come down so much. And I think just giving access to people who may not you know, be able to have the internet and just different places like that, that are being able to come online now, even just over the past, I would say six years, seeing my audience grow in India has been so incredible. And I've just, like, you can actually just see it in the analytics as they, as more and more people come online. They know you're studying Kali? <laughs> no, they're always ready for a new phone review. They're like, can you send us an iPhone, please? I'm like, all right, let's, let's fly some iPhones over. <laughs> Uh, the advances in tech there are just extraordinary. I mean, huge. Yeah, uh, it's so cool to see. Well, it's also cool to see the caste system break down. It hasn't broken down completely, of course, but you know, people are much more fluid in terms of moving up from the levels that they used to be held down. And John from the Bay Area wants to know, how do you see AI tools changing your workflow? Yeah, it's interesting because I've started kind of just experimenting a lot with AI and not really, I guess, you know, posting that much about it, just kind of learning it. And I think that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed is, you know, if I'm not an expert in something, I'm just going to kind of sit back and learn as much as I can before I start talking about it. Because now I do feel like I have that responsibility of like, if I'm talking about something, you know, that then can become a cited source. So I'm like, I don't want to start talking too much about it before I feel like I have really immersed myself into it, which I feel like I also did that with jujitsu as well. Um, but I really, really am so interested in how it's going to help us in the future, especially things like just doing voiceovers. I mean, for me to like sit down, mic up, do all of this, I could just type in a few words to change like a voiceover for a video. Like that to me is game changing. If I'm out editing, you know, and I'm not in my studio, like I'm not going to have that same sound. I'd be able to sound match that. Just being able to take out backgrounds or just edit in different types of images, like I've mentioned in thumbnails and things like that. I mean, this is only just very low level things. I mean, it's going to be pretty impressive to see over the next, even maybe just year. Well, I've seen you do a lot of virtual stuff and the reality is, if I can use that word reality, a lot of people put on the virtual equipment, they're also in a world that's so close to ours that we're now using sounds. I mean, a lot of virtual reality people are bringing in sounds from the Smithsonian, for example, to make those sounds really 
as vivid and as real and as palpable as they possibly can. I mean, this is all brave new world. This is what Huxley called the brave new world. It's up ahead. Yeah, and I'm so excited about like augmented reality as well. I mean, I could be creating content where somebody puts on, you know, a simple headset or even just some glasses, and it's going to look like I'm sitting there next to them, like watching maybe one of my YouTube videos. If they look over, I'm sitting there on the couch. They look up, they can see the video that we're watching, and I can give them direct commentary over something that I'm watching. So it's those types of things that I think is going to be so fascinating. And because the tech is so much more accessible, like, really anyone can be able to do this. And that's what's going to be kind of difficult because since anyone can do it, how do you set yourself apart and be different? And why would someone want to follow you as opposed to somebody else doing the same exact thing? Oh, that's for people like you to puzzle out. And I'm sure you will uh, deal with that question and grapple with it in ways that will be inventive as you have been your whole career. Let me go to a few more questions while we have some time. Just a few minutes left. Hershid wants to know, uh, he's in Daytona Beach. Thank you for the question. A while back, you had James Rath on your channel. You spoke about accessibility and creators. Today, what do you feel that you have learned about accessibility that might have impact for others? The accessibility community has been just so incredible to follow because, again, before, a lot of these people did not have voices to be able to voice their opinions and say things they needed. So now companies are realizing the things that they need to implement either in their products or their software directly from the community. And I, I just absolutely love seeing that happen. And James is so incredible. And he's been such a huge voice in the industry for gaming, for he's done so much stuff with Apple as well. And kind of getting a chance to sit down with him for one of his videos or a show that he was working on, he showed me what it was like to edit, you know, with his his uh, lack of sight, but we had put on like a headset. And so I was able to see what he sees or I guess what he doesn't see. And it was really just... It was such an incredible experience to be able to kind of, I guess, something like that you normally never would be able to to kind of experience. So just see companies like Apple and even Microsoft, they've been doing so much with their adaptive lab that they have this whole lab that's dedicated to accessibility, like different types of controllers, different types of um, mice and keyboards and all kinds of things for everyone. And it's just really great to be able to, to see these people kind of finally be able to enjoy things that most people would take for granted. You gotta love the name James Rath too. <laughs> I mean they speak about he's the great. Name. He nope. is the best. You should definitely have him on one day. Thank you for that suggestion. And here's another question that I think you will find amusing. I do. This is from uh, Vic in Springfield, Missouri, and he says, assuming you are not a robot, do you take purposeful steps to always be positive? <laughs> <laughs> Um, if you make me mad, like you're going to know about it. Like if, if you, <laughs> if you cross me, it's very hard for me to forgive. Um, but for the most part, I definitely do try to be positive because if I'm not, then that also puts me in sort of like a negative space. And it's like, I don't want that. Like, I don't have time for that. And I think just putting out positivity for me, I've seen the way that it's impacted people, and that also then makes me happy. So it's kind of like this this little circle of life. Well, you got two sisters. You're the middle child. Are they both as techie as you and as spirited and as optimistic and sanguine about everything as you are? I'm actually the oldest, which is weird. Oh, I thought you were a middle child. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, that's okay. My um, it makes a big I difference. Have a younger, I have the youngest sister, she's... I feel like at this point, like she's way more responsible for me. I don't think she's watching, but uh, <laughs> I definitely owe a lot to her because she's also incredibly supportive and is always helping me out with projects as well. And she also has a YouTube channel and has been a content creator. And we also have a podcast together. And then we have the middle sister who is 
you would say like your normal person, she's got like a dog, husband, a kid, you know, the house, like, you know, your normal traditional American life. And then there's me and my other sister, Jenna, who are just out, you know, doing crazy things, making YouTube videos, traveling. So it's definitely very, very different dynamic. But you being the oldest makes more sense in terms of all this research that's been done by people like Alfred Adler and Frank Soloway. They say the younger ones in a multiple child family like that look ahead, the older ones look behind. Just in terms of sibling rivalry, you have a lot of sibling rivalry between the three of you? Not really. I mean, maybe when we were younger, but like now it's been so fun because it's like my sister, Jenna, who lives out here. I mean, she's my best friend and we share a dog. We basically do everything together. So, and it's hard, I think, because our middle sister, you know, she's still back in Pennsylvania and, you know, we don't get to see her as much. So I know she definitely wants to come out and join in all the fun, but I feel like we definitely chose two very, very different paths. What kind of dog do you have? He's a little poodle. He's a little poodle Bichon. He has an Instagram. And I, at one point when I first got him, I wanted to make him a DJ. So like, <laughs> I was really into EDM music. So like I wrote a song he has, which we never actually released. And we were planning on going on tour. And then we realized he didn't really like children very much. And I was like, that's a lot of my audience. We can't take the dog on tour. This is a liability. You miss Pittsburgh? I do. I go home a lot, actually, which is, uh, I'm a spirit members gold member. So uh, just really proud of that. <laughs> I actually saw you doing a, a video from Hawaii and you were talking about getting goosebumps because there were helicopters going overhead. And I think, I don't know which island you were on, but I was in Maui not that long ago and there were helicopters and they were going ahead because a surfer was unaccounted for. They were trying to find it. So it real, the goosebumps. Oh, wow. Yeah. You feel the goosebumps for a good reason. Where were you in Hawaii? Yeah. What um, island? Was sure the, last time, the last time we went, I think we were in the uh, the main island, but we usually go to Oahu. There's a, I actually, I love going there because there's a great jujitsu gym and there's a great lightsaber training camp there as well. So I, I found a really incredible lightsaber trainer there. So every time I go there, it's like I enjoy the beach and then also go train. Robert from Los Angeles, what new technology do you think will affect the average person the most in the next years? I still think AI. I mean, it's going to be in everything. And I feel like up until recently, people didn't really have an idea of what AI actually was or what it has been doing. I think a lot of people thought that it was like robots running everything or like, you know, robots taking your order. But really it is going to be doing simple things like helping you write email, helping you write scripts. And even what Microsoft and Bing has been doing with their ability to kind of paraphrase search results into bite-sized chunks has been awesome. I mean, we're in 2023 and who would have thought that everyone would be like, Bing is where I'm now searching. So it's really kind of interesting to see that shift. And here's Chris from Tempe, Arizona. What forms of tech support and inspiration do you know that school teachers need today and tomorrow? Which kind of tech support? I mean, that's also hard because everything changes. And I feel like the limitations that schools have also been placing on AI is also kind of interesting because they don't want students to be using these things to write their papers. Um, so I think trying to figure out that relationship of how to now kind of shift to like, okay, AI is here. How do we work with it? And not against it because it's not going away. I mean, I think it's the same thing when we were younger, like we weren't allowed to use calculators. And I'm like, well, why would I learn this if I could just have a calculator do it for me? So that was kind of always like my thought process. So I think that's going to kind of be something that people are kind of going to be doing more of, I think, in schools. I saw interviews you did with some pretty big moguls. Um, uh, one was with uh, Neil Mohan, who's now taken over 
at YouTube uh, from Susan Lubitsky, and one was with Tim Cook. I mean, you talk to the biggest names in in the industry. Uh, in fact, I saw you recently with Kevin Scott, who's uh, CT for Microsoft, but also saw an interview you did um, with um, the head of Spotify, um, Eck. Um, talking to these bigwigs, uh, these people who are in charge, um, does it make you optimistic about the future of tech? Or how optimistic? I mean, generally, you're an upbeat, optimistic person, especially when it comes to tech, which you love so dearly and fiercely. Um, but we're in a tough time now. Silicon Valley Bank, uh, layoffs. I mean, you know, some people are really concerned and maybe feel it's ominous. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I guess a lot of the people that I've talked to was all kind of before that, but I do feel like everyone does feel pretty optimistic because, I mean, tech is not going away. It's only going to become increasingly more integrated into our daily lives if, as if it's not already. And I think it's just fun getting a chance to talk to these people and seeing kind of how they work with people. I think one of the questions that I asked um, Daniel Eck was kind of like, how do you instill your your kind of, I guess, your way of uh, leading like into people. And I think that's really important is having a leader that's able to kind of keep the morale high and keep people engaged and keep people wanting to to do the work, I think is a really hard thing. So it's like having someone that has that ability is is, is really interesting. And I'm always fascinated to see how they do that. It's hard for CEOs though. I mean, especially when it comes down to levels of management, they have to really give a lot to other people and rely on their team to a great extent. I'm not trying to be, you know, compassionate necessarily toward CEOs, but they do have a lot of weight on their shoulders. I mean, I've done a lot with CEOs through the years, so I can say that with absolutely no inhibition. Uh, what's your sort of final thoughts uh, for this particular podcast about where the digital world you see headed? I mean, any you don't have to be a futurist here, but just from your experience from talking to all these people, where do you see it going? What's the trajectory, in other words? Yeah, I mean, I think right now, obviously, we're seeing the the rise of short-form content. Everything is, like, now vertical. So it's going to be so interesting when I feel like Apple comes out with some sort of virtual reality headset, whether that's augmented reality, VR, because, again, as much as people, you know, hate to hate on Apple sometimes, we're like, oh, they they stole this from, from so-and-so. So-and-so has already done this. But when Apple does something, they do usually do it right. And that's when the masses kind of come. So it's going to be, I feel like augmented reality, VR, that's going to have its time. I still feel like it's a little bit early just because headsets are so large and it's just kind of uncomfortable. So when that is something that is up and mobile, where you can just pop on glasses and it's actually an incredibly integrated experience, like that's what I'm excited about. And I think being able to do that in a way that's not distractive and doesn't kind of take you out of your element, because as someone who has basically thrown their entire life online and then realized I need to pare it back and not forget about myself and kind of get outside of that, it's it's balance. And I think that's something that is very important. And I have to remind myself that all the time. Yeah, you need a life. So I hope you find one. It sounds like you are in the process of finding one. Good luck to you. I am. I am. Thank you. No, it's, it's been great. And I'm so grateful to, to people who still watch. And again, like my parents and my sister, because it's just, you know, you couldn't do any of this if you didn't really have a good support system. And do blondes have more fun? Like the old cliche? I mean, I don't know. I'm not a real blonde. I hate to spoil it for everyone, but <laughs> I'm having fun. <laughs> You're always having fun, and it's been fun and delightful talking to you, also enlightening and illuminating. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. 
And thanks to all who heard us live and sent in questions, and to all who we hope will be having the distinct pleasure of hearing this episode in the not-too-distant future. You are invited, of course, wherever you listen to us or hear us, to become a part of our growing community of podcast listeners to Gray Matter with Michael Krasny. Simply go to graymatter.show. And thanks, too, to our team, Alex, Shannon, Colin, Kevin, and Malachi. And again, many thanks to Justine and Zarek. I'm Michael Krasny. Thank you. Thank you. Bandwidth for Gray Matter is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com.